Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Well, welcome everybody. You guys made it. You're here for our podcast called Leadership Link, which is a production of the Lytle Center for Faith and Leadership. Our vision is to transform the workplace by training up leaders of exemplary character. My name's Dennis Marcourt, and I'm the director of the Lytle Center here at Abilene Christian University. I'm so excited you're tuning in because our podcast is hoping to encourage discussion about Christian perspectives about business. And we have all different types of perspectives. Our first one is going to encompass the big picture of business. What should the Christian view of business be? And we have many other topics lined up coming forward. I've invited two distinguished guests into the studio. On my left, we have Dodd Roberts who's the director of the Halbert Center for Missions and Global Service here at ACU. And on my right, we have Dr. Cole Bennett, who's a professor in the Department of Language and Literature and also the director of the Writing Center. So we're going to hop right into this thing. And uh, I'm going to start with just having them describe kind of how they gained the perspectives that they have about their particular views in business. So, Dot, I think I'll start with you. You're obviously here because you have a strong perspective as to how Christians should view business and businesses in general. And so do you mind just kind of giving a, your background to our viewers and how you came about uh, coming to your perspective? Yeah, sure. So I, I graduated with an accounting degree from ACU many years ago and spent 28 years in the corporate world in various capacities working for various companies and probably had the same view a lot of people in the church have and that is that um, the really important people in the kingdom of God are ministers and missionaries. They're kind of at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. And you kind of work your way down through nurses and doctors and you get to the bottom of the pyramid with all the nasty business people. And you know, our job in the kingdom is just to make money and to support the people that are really important. And about six years ago or so, I started meeting some people and Uh, learning about some folks in this uh, BAM movement, the uh, Business as Mission Global Movement. And the more I uh, got really interested in it, the more I learned, the more I um, became uh, educated in the the BAM principles and how these people were using business as a tool for God, they talked differently. They they talked about redeeming business for God's purpose. Uh, They talked about, um, I kind of always thought of business as mission as this little uh, micro thing over here you kind of use as a fake business to get into a country. But these people talked about um, real business, not just little fake businesses. Um, They understood that there wasn't a a divide between the sacred and the secular in ways I hadn't heard before. And, And all of a sudden they elevated business people 
and all people in the church to they kind of level the playing field that we are we all are equally important. Um, it's not just the people at the top of the pyramid. So that that's kind of what gain helped me gain interest in the subject. Okay, interesting. I like the idea of secular and sacred. That's an interesting perspective for sure. So Cole, what about you? How did you come to your perspective? Yes, I'm thinking of your listeners thinking, um, why is there an English teacher in this in this podcast? And I, I appreciate that, that question. My undergraduate degree is actually a BBA in marketing, hmm. and my master's and PhD are both in English, but they focused in the work of rhetoric. So I came, I came up through uh, to my academic positions through rhetoric studies, and something really interesting happens when you study rhetoric, and you get to the Enlightenment period because the rhetoric textbooks, as they have these famous. Um, scholars who talked about how to make arguments well and how to move an audience well. They have these authors listed and there's this guy that they always mention, most books do, um, who was a rhetoric teacher in Scotland in the late 1700s named Adam Smith. And I remember thinking, now I know that guy from another context because I'm pretty sure he wrote two gigantic books one called The Theory of Moral Sentiments and one called The Wealth of Nations. Um, and we never talked about those And so, in the rhetoric studies side. So as I, as I began paying attention um, to certain topics in, the graduate, in my graduate work, I began trying to reconcile the Adam Smith who taught rhetoric and arguments and the Adam Smith who saw and tried to describe how a country gains wealth over time in ways that help all the participants of a transaction. And in my, I've been at ACU now for 20 years, and in my 20 year time here, I've, I have taken that interest in both rhetoric and economics and watched presidential um, elections and smaller elections than that happen. And I've tried to pay attention to how people describe what economics should do and what economics might do if it were handled differently and I've tried to think about the arguments that are being made and it's, it's led me to um, a place where I have I think of business differently and I've, I have also come to a different understanding of what I think business does in a way it can be reconciled with Christianity. Okay, that's good. I'm glad that you mentioned Adam Smith's theory of moral sentiments because a lot of people forget that that's one of his works. That's right. He's known more for the wealth of nations. Um, so it's time to uh, let the ball drop here. We're going to get into it. So, Dodd, do you mind sharing? So what's your perspective? What does business as, as mission mean? Um, you know, and how is this kind of framed in Christianity? Yeah, so um, the, when you think about the purpose of what is the purpose of business, I really like um, a lot of my thoughts are framed by other people, and authors and, and speakers. So one of the guys I really like is um, uh, Jeff Van Duzer, who is the provost of Seattle Pacific University. He's formerly the college, uh, the dean of the College of Business there. And when he was dean, they uh, embarked on a project, they and he and his faculty, to look at scripture and see what does God have to say? What does God think the purpose of business is? And so um, they started, and, and this is, uh, there's a lot of foundational stuff here that we don't have time to cover. Um, but he wrote a book called Why Business Matters to God. 
And so I highly recommend that book. But what they concluded is this, that the purpose of business is twofold. I'm going to read this so I won't mess it up. Um, the first one is to create an opportunity for individuals to express their God-given identity in meaningful and creative work. And the second being to produce goods and services that enable the community to flourish. And so the first, you hear echoes of Ephesians 2.10 that uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think that's probably more in that verse than just uh, painting fences for elderly people down the street. He created things for us to do. And so these two purposes you hear, honor your God-given identity, kind of serve and love God, and then create products and goods for the community to flourish, kind of love and serve people. So love God, love people sounds kind of familiar. And so if that's he, if they're basically taking what should be the foundational principle of our lives as Christians and saying that should be the foundational purpose of the business we create as Christians. And so I really like those statements. And um, <clears throat> he does, he starts, he says, uh, as he starts talking about that, um, he'll say, you know, people ask me, Jeff, you're the dean of a college of business. Don't you think the foundational purpose of business is profit? And he says, well, uh, profit is important to a business, but it's important. It's not the reason you do, it's about the purpose of business. Because I, I think of profit to a business as blood to a body. So we need blood in our body to circulate, for our bodies to thrive. We need it. But it's not the reason that we live. We don't get up in the morning and say, can't wait to pump blood today, you know, and I need, I need to focus on pushing that blood through that aorta because, you know, that's, that's my reason for living. That's not the reason for living. We need it. It's not the purpose. Profit to business is the same way. You need it. You've got to have it, but it's not the reason, the purpose for business has got to be something much bigger uh, than just survival. Okay. So. All right. So, um, I think that was well stated, um, succinct. So we go over to Cole, your perspective um, on business. Why, why should business exist? I'm not so sure that my perspective differs so much as it comes at it from a different direction. I, I think I would actually say I differ with your second point a little bit. So let me see if I can get there. Um, my dad was a baker. We had a bakery. My grandfather was a baker, had a bakery. My mom worked in the bakery, and sometimes she worked as a secretary. And growing up, um, my dad sold pies and cakes and cookies and so forth. And um, you know that was not an, an extremely lucrative business, but I got a sense of what it was like to trade your labor for revenue. And so my brothers and I, as soon as we were able to make a decision to trade our labor for revenue, I was out knocking on the doors of my neighbors saying, um, can I mow your yard for you? You know, I was probably 12 or 13. And, um, you know, we would come to an agreement of a price. And um, in today's terms, looking back, I was, I was really saying to myself, I have a choice of a couple hours and a lot of sweat that I can trade for financial gain because I need, I need the money and my neighbor needs the yard mowed. Now, to me, that is both a value-free exchange and it is, at the same time, beautiful. 
When I buy a pizza for $10 from Domino's, Domino's knows that $10 is worth more than the pizza, and I know that the pizza is worth to me uh, at least $10 in a cent because I'm willing to pay the $10 to get the pie. And so we're both winners in that transaction, and I don't need any government entity or anyone over me to make sure that that's correct. It is an agreement between the pizza vendor and myself. And a whole society, a whole country, a whole world that is built of individuals making private decisions about ways to enter into transactions that satisfy both their needs causes the flourishing that you're talking about. My dad was a great Christian man. He passed away in 88 and he had plans for the ways that he helped people, but he still got the most money that pie could bring in the bakery. He maximized the profit of the pie to the pie purchaser because he had plans for the profit later on. So I don't think making the pie more expensive than maybe some people can afford or less expensive, I don't think that that is a Christian decision. I think it's a profit decision to be made in a neutral environment but I might persuade business owners who are making the profits, I might try to persuade them to do Christian things. In a perfect world, if all markets were perfect, we had perfect motives and uh, perfect resource allocation and everything else about this, the environment in which business operates were perfect, then I, I may agree um, in a large extent with that. If our motive is to, uh, our primary motive, kind of that we elevate above everything is to extract the most value for the shareholders, then I may make some, be tempted to make some decisions that um, are detrimental to other people. So if I'm a mortgage banker, um, I may put people in houses that they can't afford because it extracts the most value from the transaction for my share, for my investor. Um, but if I have uh, motives, uh, let's just say uh, godly motives, I guess if you, we'll talk about we'll talk about the multiple bottom lines. But um, I, I might say, does this putting this person? I might ask, does putting this person in this house allow them to flourish as God intended? Or are they going to get strapped and now their family's hard, they're going to have to work extra, they're taking time away from, you know, it just, it creates bumps in the system. God, it needs to be about the business of God. So God is in the reconciliation business, right? God has given us jobs. He gave us a great commission, gave us great commandments. So as Christians, as followers of God, if we're going to run a business or actually be a doctor or an engineer, then we need to be about God's business of reconciliation as part of that um, living that we're creating for ourselves. Last thing I'll say, there's a man named Patrick Lai who spoke on campus. He's started a lot of these band practitioners, started a lot of businesses, 14 at the time, in uh, the Muslim majority world. As an example of this multiple bottom line, he had a business that was the most profitable business in his portfolio, but it was not meeting two of the P goals, the people goal and the God's purposes goal. And so he got his team together and said, okay, what do we do about this? We need to realign. So made some changes about a year later, looked at the business again, wasn't still wasn't meeting those two P's, still the most profitable business in his portfolio, but he closed it because of his strong commitment to 
an even approach to those multiple bottom lines. So. Okay. Cole, do you have I do. comments, um, remarks? First of all, I'm glad that you brought up Milton Friedman's article <laughs> because I have it here. And I, I, want, I, I want the people watching to know about this article. It's from the New York Times Magazine, September of 1970. So it's kind of stood the test of time. It's important to note that Friedman says at the end, um, there's only one social responsibility of business to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits so long as it stays within the rules of the game, which is to say engages in open and free competition without deception or fraud. So I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's an important caveat to say if, if I have a transmission shop that's coming out to the little old ladies saying, look at this stuff I found in your transmission, you need a new one. That's just fraud. Even though that helps my bottom line go up, it's, mm -hmm. it's, that is to me not godly pursuit of profit. But I'm also glad that you brought up the financial crisis of 2008 because, <laughs> no, I really am. And, and um, the reason is because there's a terrific book on this topic called Gambling with Other People's Money by, Royce, by Russ Roberts. Uh, who pretty much says you can explain the housing crisis of 2008 almost completely by the distorted incentives caused by government interference. The backstop of Freddie and Fannie, the Community Reinvestment Act by Carter and Clinton that threatened to penalize banks who did not make risky loans. And, and you have the government putting its hands on business in ways that created incentives for people to behave poorly. And so I'm all for saying, let's try to root out bad behavior of businesses. I think many of the times what we find when we start doing the rooting are distorted incentives caused by uh, many times the government, the federal government or state governments. All that to say, um, incentives really matter. I think even in the way you're talking about, I. It's been a while since I've read about this, so if you have things to add, please do. But I heard one of the problems with Tom's Shoes, a company that ostensibly had fantastic motives. <clears throat> you buy a pair of shoes here, we give a pair of shoes in this country. Mm -hmm. The people who sold shoes in that country were going broke and starving because shoes were flooding their markets and they had no more, no more of a living as a cobbler. So there was a an unintended consequence of someone who was not paying close attention to what the market was doing to meet needs that were um, ignoring faith issues and just saying, what is the market doing here to meet needs before I decide what a Christian shoe seller should do? Mm -hmm. They were kind of ignoring, and it ended up doing more harm than good in some countries. Again, it's been a long time since I read about that, so I, I don't think I'm misspeaking, though. Um, and so... I don't, I don't think I have much of a complaint for a person who says you must enter business as a Christian carefully and with good motives. I'm not sure one of your, one of your, the things you mentioned is what it needed to be redeeming. I'm mm -hmm. not sure how selling pizza is redeeming or not redeeming. I see it as a person who says, hey, this town needs another pizza shop. I'm going to open one up. I don't know. And so, sometimes I think those abstractions of what a Christian business person should do are a little hard to meet on the ground. Because I can, I, can I can see your point if it's a small enough 
corporate a small enough corporation or mm-hmm. sole proprietorship. Okay. Saying I'm going to make less because I want to pay my people more. Yeah. So my question for you then is the same as I I went at Dodd. Do you think a society could flourish if all corporations had a business's mission mindset? I had a business as mission, mission mindset. Yeah, with the two, with the, with the bottom lines, the multiple bottom lines. I think you would, uh, I'm not sure. I think it would change. I think there would be a lot fewer people who would invest with a stranger, not knowing what that stranger might do Monday morning in the name of a BAM tenant. Hmm. You know, this person may wake up and decide all my employees get a living wage, whatever I think that is, and that's going to make my investment suddenly worth a lot less. So I think people would be a lot more skittish to invest without far more assurances of what the future holds. Interesting. Okay. Well, I feel like we could talk for another hour on that point alone, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but we have a student question, and I want to make sure that um, she gets her due here. She is a finance and accounting major, feels a particular gifting in that major, but kind of feels sometimes like if she goes into working for public accounting or uh, a, a strictly profit-based corporation that she could be selling God out a little bit. What kind of guidance would you guys give her? Can she do both? Can she be great at finance and accounting and work in a corporation? Or if she is serving God as a Christian, does she need to go to, uh, you know, a social social entrepreneurship-based company? I'd, I'd love your perspectives on this. Let me start, and you can have the last yeah. word, okay? Yeah. Um, I told you before, uh, earlier on, that my family was very working class, having a bakery, and um, we went to a church growing up that had a wide variety of, of people and professions represented, and there was no way I was ever going to be able to follow some of my friends who went to private colleges, and I was looking at local state colleges, and a man at my church, um, whom I had known my whole life, talked to me over the course of a a year and a half or so, and finally um, convinced me to find out how much money I could get for various financial scholarships and so forth, and then just wrote checks for the difference for me to attend a private university. And that man was, he had six McDonald's franchises. So when he was serving burgers, he was making the most money he could, but what he chose to do as a member of the kingdom was to help people like he helped me. And so I would say to this person, whether you are a fantastic, God-loving accountant in America making six figures or a fantastic God-loving accountant in a developing country helping a nonprofit, the main thing is that you are, that you be a fantastic God-loving person and that you can serve God in either arena if serving God is your purpose. Okay. Thank you. What would you say? Um, well, if it, there's various um, uh, paths that a person like this student could take. Right? If they wanted to start a business, I would obviously argue like I'm arguing now. You can uh, have uh, godly principles. You can honor God. You can be elevated to the top of the pyramid, you know, um, and still be successful. There are people doing it, running successful businesses like this, according to these principles. Um, 
what we didn't really get into that's a, another facet of this, uh, Cole, you mentioned greed earlier. Tim Keller actually says, uh, greed's kind of funny because nobody thinks they're greedy. It's a sin, you know. If you're, if you're committing adultery, you don't wake up and say, well, you're not my wife or you're not my husband. You kind of know you're doing it, right? But nobody thinks they're greedy because you look up. And so we kind of personally, and he addressed this a little bit, have to establish some guidelines for uh, how we're going to live as professionals or as uh, any whether you're flipping burgers or running a company. And so I think it's important for us all, for this student to set some guidelines going in, some John, some Wesleyan guidelines. Uh, John Wesley said, I'm capping my income and no matter how much I make, I know how much I need to live, not capping my income, capping my lifestyle. And I can always give above that. Um, and it's, it's, interesting for people that don't want to start businesses. So Lauren McAfee is the um, granddaughter of, uh, uh, I'm going to say the wrong one, but the Greens that started Hobby Lobby. She actually spoke on campus a few years ago. And in our conversation on the phone before she came, I asked her, um, so what do you think about, uh, what, what would you say to uh, accounting and finance students <clears throat> to come out and feel like, can I go into business and honor God, why would they, why should somebody like that go to work for, say, ExxonMobil or Ernst & Young as opposed to Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A? Do all Christians need to go to Christian companies, you know? <clears throat> she said, I, I really loved her answer, and I've told a lot of people this. She said, you know, there are places on earth there that are dark places. I mean, I've worked for the big, I've worked for Arthur Anderson, who was taken down with Enron. And so I witnessed it can be a dark place. I decided not to follow that path of partner because every partner in the Dallas office at the time was divorced. And I didn't want that for me. I thought, well, I guess you got to be divorced to be a partner. <laughs> so what Lawrence said was um, that the temptations can be so great that a Christian, a disciple, to go somewhere, we need disciples. We need lights in those dark places. But you better be strong, and you really probably ought to feel called mm -hmm. to go somewhere. So I'm going here specifically to do what I can to redeem this culture. I'm not going to compromise my values, but I know I've got to be so vigilant. But that's why I'm going here. Again, our whole purpose, what we talked about, God's given us a job. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. So we have that as our guiding principle. <clears throat> so you can, if that's your guiding principle, then you can go anywhere and do anything. Just stay true to that principle. Um, so some people may feel like I'm, I don't really feel bold. I don't feel like I could stick up for myself, stick up for God in that environment. It's just not me. Maybe I do need to go work for Hobby Lobby. But somebody else, probably like this student, could say, I could probably go there and I'm going to make a difference for God in this environment. Okay. Well, students, the ball is in your court now. I hope that this discussion has encouraged some thoughts in your mind. You're going to talk about this around the dinner table at the Bean in classes. But we want you to be talking about these things as Christians, trying to formulate your perspective about the views of business. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Cole Bennett and Dodd Roberts, thank you guys for an engaging discussion. 
Have a great one. I want to thank Wildcat Ventures Video Production Studio and Nick Gonzalez as well for helping facilitate.